See, I like that. Worship is an ongoing conversation with God. For God hears our words. He knows our feelings. He, he knows our needs. He, he knows our, uh, what we say. And we come and we're listening for a word from God. We listen to scripture. We listen to the music. We listen to, to dialogue with our fellow Christians. We listen in the sermon. We listen in the silence, listening for a word from God because it's an ongoing conversation. But now the question I have for you, what if, what if all of a sudden Jesus appeared physically right beside me? And what if he asked this question? What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? If Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you today? As I've thought about that for the last couple of weeks, I pondered, how would I answer that question? And I have to confess that I've changed my answer several times. And then I read somewhere it said that sometimes we hide our deepest need, even from our closest friends. Sometimes we hide our deepest needs, even from ourselves. So what is my deepest need? What, how, how, how can I answer that question if Jesus asks me that question? So a lot of times when I'm looking for answers, I go to scripture. Because you see, that's the question that Bartimaeus was answered. So let's look at that scripture text just a little more closely. The scripture says that Jesus had been in Jericho and now he's leaving Jericho and he's heading up to Jerusalem. And there's a large crowd of people there who are following him. He has a, a large group of followers behind him. And beside the road, there is a blind man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus simply means son of Timaeus. We know a little bit about Bartimaeus. We know he's blind. Uh, we know he's not deaf. Uh, we know that he uh, is a beggar. And we assume, as most beggars, he's destitute. He, he's, he's relying on the kindness of others for his very survival. And he's picked a, a good location to beg. Because, you see, most people heading up to Jerusalem from Jericho, uh, they're heading up to Jerusalem for a, a spiritual pilgrimage, to go to the temple. And as you know, uh, religious people are called to be more generous than some of the normal person. And so he's there begging. And, and, and as he hears, the crowd is there, he hears that this is Jesus. The, the big crowd, this is Jesus. So he cries out, son of D Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he shouts it out. And some of the followers of Jesus tell him to be quiet because it's kind of irritating. You're, you're trying to hear what Jesus is trying to say. Is Whatever Jesus said, you don't want to miss a word of Jesus. And, and this guy's shouting louder and louder and louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's kind of interesting, that prayer he cries out to Jesus, the Eastern Orthodox Church, as well as the Roman Catholic Church, have taken it and formed it called the Jesus Prayer. And this is what they have twisted it, just a little bit adapted. Nope. Nope. That's close to Jesus' prayer. <laughs> okay. I've got it. I've got it right here. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's one that they use over and over again, repeat it, repeat it over and over. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So they have adapted a bit of Bartimaeus's prayer and use it in their, in their liturgy. But here you visualize that scene, big crowd, and, and there's Bartimaeus crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Scripture says that Jesus stopped. Whenever Jesus stops in the Gospel of Mark, you know something important is about to happen. Because you see, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, his favorite adverb is the Greek word immediately. He uses the Greek word immediately 27 times in 16 chapters. Everything in Mark is hurrying to get to Jerusalem. I mean, to compare, how, how, how does that compare to the other Gospels? If you would look now, we'll pull up the slide about Matthew. Matthew uses it 12 times, but he has 28 chapters. Mark, the 27 times he used it with 16 chapters. Luke, 13 times, but there's 24 chapters. The Gospel of John, not as a big a hurry, twice out of 21 chapters. You see, Luke sees everything kind of hurrying immediately. Everything is, in a, is kind of pushing quickly towards Jerusalem. And so scripture says Jesus stopped. He stopped. He turns and says, call Bartimaeus to me. Call Bartimaeus to me. And then scripture says that Bartimaeus throws his cloak off. He takes, throws it aside. And that's an interesting detail to put in the story. I mean, I can't think of another story in the Gospels where all of a sudden this guy takes off his cloak. Everybody had their cloak with them almost all the time. You have to realize the importance of a cloak. The importance of a cloak. Uh, the cloak is one that kept you warm. It get cold over there, too. If, it, if a, a sandstorm, you can cover your head with it. It keeps you warm. If you, the gospel of the book of Ruth says if you throw your cloak over someone, you're taking possession of them. If you need to borrow money, you go to the creditor, you take them your cloak, and they give you a few coins. But scripture says and the, the, the creditor had to return the cloak each night because that's what kept you warm at night. Then in the morning, you take the cloak back to the creditor until you pay the money. The cloak is his most important possession he has. And it says he throws it aside because Jesus has called him. I mean, somebody said, I mean, there's a big crowd there. And you know there's a big crowd. There's probably a few thieves kind of around the edges just watching for opportunities to see if they can take, get something here to leave his most valuable possession there on the ground and go to Jesus. Uh, one of the commentators said it's like if you're driving through a city, a big city, and it's high crime area, in a high crime rate area, you pull up to a convenience store, you leave the car running, and you go inside to get something. It's not the smartest thing to do. But Bartimaeus lays the cloak beside and goes to Jesus. And, and now you see the graciousness to me of Jesus at this point. Jesus asks that question, what do you want me to do for you? 
He doesn't assume anything. He wants to hear what Bartimaeus wants. He may not want his sight. Because you see, if he gets his sight back, how is he going to make a living? The only thing he knows how to do is be a blind beggar. The future is totally unknown if he gets his sight back. So Jesus wants to know, out of respect and honor of Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And to me, there's more grace there, too. He doesn't demand that Bartimaeus follow. There's freedom, human freedom there. He can go on his own way, or he can follow Jesus. There's no coercion. There's no force. And Bartimaeus begins to follow Jesus. So that's how Bartimaeus answered that question. So back to that question, what, how do I want to answer that? So I, I visualize that scripture text. Where am I in that story? I'm not Bartimaeus crying out, but I'm in the crowd that's following behind Jesus. And what is that crowd? They don't really see Bartimaeus. They don't really hear him. Yes, they hear this noise and it's irritating. They want him to shut up. They tell him to be quiet because they're, they're focusing on Jesus. They're just focusing, what's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? They just want to see whatever Jesus is going to do. And they fail to hear him. And it makes me wonder, how many times in my life has somebody cried out for help and I didn't even hear it? How many times have I, have, 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 have I looked at someone and not really seen them and seen that they need God and I haven't taken the time to even really look at that person? So, so as I looked at that text, what I would answer to Jesus, help me to see more clearly. Help me to hear better. Help me to be more faithful to what you want me to do and be. But then the question is, Today, what, what does God's voice sound like? And so I looked at scripture. You have the story of Elijah. Uh, Jezebel has threatened to kill Elijah, the prophet Elijah. So Elijah runs to the hills and hides in a cave. And there came a great, great wind, and God wasn't in the wind. Uh, then came an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then came fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then what translators often translate, then came a still, small voice. And God asked, why are you here, Elijah? But the actual Hebrew doesn't say still, small voice. The actual Hebrew said, in the sheer, sudden silence. What does sudden silence sound like? And then I began to think, well, my morning prayers, when I have my morning devotions and I'm praying, I have to admit, I do a lot of talking. How much time do I sit in sheer silence, listening for God to speak? Maybe I need to hear better what God wants to say. Or uh, as a story of Samuel, Samuel as a young boy, He's being trained by Eli, the priest. And all of a sudden at night, one night, he hears 
Eli, uh, Samuel hears Samuel, Samuel, so he runs to Eli. He said, you call? No, I didn't call. Go back to sleep. Three times that happens. Finally, Eli says, next time it happened, you say, here I am, Lord, speak. So for Samuel, the voice of God sounded like Eli's voice. That's interesting. Or, or look at Dr. Martin Luther King. He writes that in 1956, in the midst of the Montgomery bus boycott, he was exasperated. He was at his wit's end. He was ready to give up. He just received a phone call threatening the life of his family and himself. He tried to sleep, couldn't sleep. He got up and took his problem to God. And this, this is what he says. He experienced the divine. He could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. His fears and uncertainty ceased because God spoke and gave him an inner calm. God provided the interior resources for him to do his social justice work. He needed God to speak first, then he could act. He listened prayerfully, then proclaimed prophetically. What does the voice of God sound like? There's no set way that God speaks to us. But how, how do we attune to it? Because that's what I would like Jesus to help me see what you want me to do. Help me to see where you are so more clearly. Help me to hear you more clearly. And as I thought about it, I ran into a prayer by uh, Charles Kingsley, a 19th century English priest. And I adapted his prayer. This would be my prayer, too, for the next slide. <laughs> That's okay. He said, at least a hint of your will. Yes, God, give me just a little hint of what your will would be. And that whatever outward forms it may be uttered. Don't have a stereotype way of how you think God's going to speak to you. There's no question God will be speaking to you. And the next one is, may I receive it with grace? Because God may not say what you want to hear. God may not ask you to do what you want to do. Because as, as Charles writes, recognizing your ways are not our ways. Know your thoughts are thoughts. So that's how as I wrestle with it, what I would like Jesus to do for me. But, but now the final question is, how would you answer this question? Jesus asked each of you, what do you want me to do for you?